passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome, everybody, to Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John, what's up? Uh, not, not a whole lot. I'll tell you what, what's up. Gina Carano's film career. Oh, yeah. We're going to be starting off the top discussing The Mandalorian, which I didn't think we would be doing tonight, but we will be, because uh, Gina Carano uh, has been fired by Lucasfilm over wow. these just disgusting comments uh, are, are you up on this this story as it was uh breaking tonight uh you know i didn't even hear that she was fired but i i, I definitely saw the comments yes so for, for those that uh are not up to speed uh tonight uh lucasfilm announced that gina carano is not currently employed uh by the outfit they issued a when uh statement on wednesday after several social media posts the statement said she is not employed by lucasfilm and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Nevertheless, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. Uh, this is from uh, Variety. Carano shared several offensive posts on her Instagram stories on Tuesday night, including one that likened contemporary political differences to the treatment of Jews in Nazi Germany. I'm not going to read what was uh, posted here, but uh, suffice to say, these were pretty disgusting comments that she made. And then a hashtag of fire Gina Carano was uh, all over uh, Twitter on Wednesday in response. Uh, people were tagging Lucasfilm and uh, that is the latest. It looks like she is done with, uh, with the Mandalorian. And I don't think anyone will be looking to hire Gina Carano anytime soon. Uh, the strange part of this is that her career as a public figure largely launched on this very day in 2007. This was the fight with Julie Kedzie that was the highlight of that very first Elite XC show on Showtime. And, well, 14 years later, uh, quite a different outcome. Uh, I don't think we have to uh, share our thoughts on this way. Obviously, these are horrible comments. And what um, b beyond that, I mean, it's just uh, such a lack of awareness that... It's awful enough if you are making such comparisons. You should never, ever, ever, ever compare anything to the Holocaust. That is probably a good rule to live your life by. And posting it online as such a, a public figure, I don't know what was going through her mind. And it's really shocking to me, Way, because 
you know, Carano has made like I have not I don't follow her very closely, uh, but this was a woman that I interacted with, interviewed many times in my life. So did you and was the furth- furthest thing from uh, imagining she would have a, a an outcome like this because she was a very shy and very laid back individual. And I don't know what has uh, changed with that, but these were very disgusting comments to be reading uh, over the past day. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, like I've, I've been aware of, I think her um, stance on COVID and maybe several other things uh, for weeks now. So I, I, I feel like this sentiment has definitely been brewing and in some ways, uh, this felt like sort of a logical conclusion. I guess this was definitely a, another level. Um, and I totally agree with you. Like in, in any prior interaction I've had with her, she's been incredibly pleasant. Um, I don't know what's been different now, but she definitely feels um, very different. And at the same time, you know, um, at the, I would say the peak maybe of her popularity in the mainstream as well. Um, so oh, I, w- I would say without question, I mean, this was the biggest role of her life and it seemed like this was only going to be, um, the, the kickoff for more. Like, it seemed like she, like you tell me, it seemed like she was very popular as, as this character. I mean, if you've watched the series, she was, she was not a bit player. She was one of the main, uh, roles in, in the two seasons. Yeah. Yeah, she was. Um, so oh, man, um, I just don't know what to say. It's a, it's it's a really tragic, um, I maybe change of opinion. Like uh, it's just sad that I think she has these beliefs. Um, that anybody would have these beliefs. Anyway, so um, yeah, that was that was the major story coming out on Wednesday night. I guess we should just go through a couple of the news items here, and then we'll mention uh, what is coming up over the next few days on the site. Not too much news to get to here, but uh, the raw number on Monday, way, what a segue. Uh, we had the lowest numbers of the year, but raw still finished on top of the cable charts on Monday. They did a million seven hundred fifteen thousand viewers, a point four nine in the demo. So we're, they were down over fifteen percent uh, among uh, adults eighteen to forty nine, and. Uh, they saw a lot of declines from the week prior, um, with the exception of one. Like with all these drops, men twelve to thirty four, um, they were down from last week. They were actually down sixteen percent. But during the show, they grew twenty two percent from hour one to hour three. Everything else did pretty bad, either bad or very very bad uh, from the first hour to the third. So something uh, with men twelve to thirty four click. Maybe they just thought, you know what? Randy Orton with his full use of his face going against Drew McIntyre. I'm set for Monday night. Uh, let's let's tune in. It's got to be was it. The, that was the outlier group. It's got to be it. What else could it be? Well, whatever worked for that particular group did not work for anyone else. Women 18 to 49. They were down uh, 19.5% this week. From hour one to hour three, that group dropped 39%. Thirty nine. Like wow. I track this stuff every week. That is a staggering number to lose. In that, that's just an, an amazing stat. Like forty percent of women eighteen to forty nine by the end of the show were like, 
sorry. Let's let's go see what else is on. Um, but that said, way again, despite all of these declines, they're still finishing on on top of the on top of cable. I mean, part of that is a function of the competition that they are up against. But um, it, it was a show that was not well received, but one that by by those metrics, it's still raw, topping your cable charts. So take take that with whatever grain of salt you want. Moving on to uh, Impact News, they were uh, they have announced a new pre-show way. Access TV is going to have a one-hour pre-show to Impact. I know that this is going to be the completion to your viewing schedule every week that you had always been telling me. You know, I just wish there was a pre-show before Impact every week. So now you can have three hours of Impact programming uh, beginning next Tuesday, 7 o'clock p.m., as they will be doing... Uh, a preview show. This is going to be hosted by John Burton with Gia Miller and Josh Matthews, uh, and will feature one exclusive match each week. So, I guess when you own your network, you can you can do stuff like this. Like, hey, let's let's add another another program to the mix. It's another hour of content. I mean, I don't know what it's replacing, but I'm I'm sure there's a good chance this would do better. So, yeah. And Impact did do. 153,000 viewers on Tuesday. They've got their No Surrender event coming up on Saturday night. And the last bit of news uh, just to talk about, uh, as we were mentioning, Showtime, uh, interestingly enough, getting back into MMA this week. They announced that Bellator is coming to Showtime beginning in April. They're going to be running Friday night cards uh, with Bellator. For Bellator, if you have not been following them, they were on the Paramount Network. And then shifted over to the CBS Sports Network, which to me was a, a step down. And we were no longer seeing any any ratings uh, data for Bellator. But it seemed like they, they had been at their lowest profile in a long time being on CBS Sports Network. It ends up that it's it was going to be a short stay. Now they move to Showtime, which I think is a significant upgrade. It's a network, a premium network that has a history of promoting combat sports. You have the synergy with... Showtime Championship Boxing, and I think puts a bit of a spotlight now on Bellator. Uh, what's interesting is that they do not have a Canadian broadcaster as of yet. Uh, Scott Coker has said that they are in talks with Canadian broadcasters and are hoping to have an announcement before these April shows. So they're not going to be running anything this month or next. So they won't start their year until April. And that's going to feature uh, the continuation of their Featherweight World Grand Prix and then the launch of a light heavyweight Grand Prix will be an eight-man tournament that's going to start in April and continue in July and October. And they did a big a big announcement reveal on Tuesday in uh, Uncasville, Connecticut, hosted by Mauro Ronaldo. And it was uh, quite the uh, quite the parade of, of stars that they had here uh, in the, the fight sphere. So Bellator to Showtime, I think overall a very good deal for Bellator to be on a... A more consistently viewed network in Showtime when it comes to combat sports fans. And with Showtime, this would represent their return to MMA for the first time since 2013 when Strikeforce dissolved. So um, interesting to see Showtime reinvest in mixed martial arts as well. So those are uh, just some quick news items going on. But way we have many, many programs to come. Uh, did you get to see uh, New Beginning yet? Which yes, we'll I be have. talking about Thursday. Yeah, saw it this morning. I think that the tag match just ended, actually, uh, just five minutes ago, after it started this morning. Oh, the G.O.D. tag match. 
Yes, it was a it was a lengthy one. Uh, we will be talking about all of that on Thursday. We'll talk about both shows. The second one is actually starting in just a few hours. Mm-hmm. One a.m. our time. What do you think for uh, Kota Bushi and Sonata? I think after today's show, we have realized that um, keeping matches to a reasonable length is, is not a concern. So if you thought that these guys could tease going the going fifty five or sixty, I, th- I think a very real possibility now after seeing today's show. Yeah. Um, I feel like it'll probably hit the 30 minute range at least. That will be Thursday. Uh, we'll go through all of our thoughts there and then a new British wrestling experience will be dropping. Will cooling will be stopping by with Martin and Benno and then Friday way, uh, you will be back for rewind to SmackDown. Yes, I will be. I'll be joined by Nate Milton for the show. So, uh, it's your chance, everybody to talk to Nate Milton. If you're a member of the post wrestling cafe, you'll have access to that show. As John mentioned, uh, the new beginning show that will be dropping tomorrow as a bonus for our cafe patrons. Also, ask away that we just released on Tuesday, over 100 minutes of answering your questions about really everything and anything, not just in wrestling, but in our lives as well. So get all that right now on the feed. And of course, this weekend, we are back with Rewandavision on the cafe feed. But outside of the cafe feed, there's plenty this weekend as well, because uh, we'll have an edition of Post Pro Res with John Pollock and WH Park. WH Park will also be bringing us an exclusive interview with Matt Charlton. You guys might know him as Shining Wizard Designs. Uh, Just uh, a a brilliant artist um, who does a number of wonderful illustrations of uh, pro-rest Japanese wrestling figures that that are out there. So he's got a new book out there, and uh, WH has an exclusive chat with him. That'll also be released on Saturday. And then on Sunday, it is NXT TakeOver vengeance day so we invite you to join our friends at up next who you can probably listen to right now on their feed as they review tonight's nxt but on sunday they will be back for the nxt takeover vengeance day post show and if you go to twitch.tv slash up next podcast you can watch that show live with our friends uh, davy and brayden and really every everybody else that's in there so all that and the main event perhaps the highlight of this week post wrestling game night on the Discord, postwrestling.com slash Discord. Davey Portman will be co-hosting this with Phil Chertok, the Lord of the Court himself. Uh, You don't need any sort of system. You don't really need any sort of admission. All you really need is a membership and a free sign-up at postwrestling.com slash Discord. And then from there, as long as you have a web browser, you'll be able to play these games along with everybody in the community. So it's a great place to, you know, bond if you have nothing else going on that evening um it's a way to interact with other listeners i might even drop by davey portman will be hosting it eric marcod jordan goodman will be there so who knows who else maybe john yes. pollock oh we, we will see about that i i might be completely unconscious by that uh, by seven o'clock tomorrow night we'll we'll see uh but yes i understand there will be some giveaways as well going on during game night uh, mm-hmm. so go check that out and of course phil uh, we'll be with me Saturday night right after the UFC 258 card. We'll be live on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel. Give that a subscribe and tune into the show Saturday night. So lots of terrific things coming up at postwrestling.com. Awesome. You know what else is terrific way? What's that? The lead-in that Canadians get for AEW Dynamite. Oh, yeah. I caught a bit of this. We, we talked about this a long time ago, but tonight I actually found my... Usually I am racing to start uh, Dynamite, and I'm usually late starting it. Well, tonight I was there at 7.55, so I got to catch the tail end of Canadian Steel Timber Sports. And 
what I'm missing, I am reminded of just in these last five minutes. It is COVID time. So that means that we were only chatting to the Timberers by Zoom for some extensive discussions with the host reporting live from the Canadian Steel Timber Sports headquarters. And we ended off with a roundtable discussion about your favorite steel timber sport discipline. Do you have a favorite? I think it's a saw desk. The stock saw way is what you were thinking of. Yes. Nathan Cumberland explained that there's nothing quite like the adrenaline rush of running that 661. There's so much power (laughs) in those 90 CC saws and the risk factor. I wanted him to delve into the risk factor. Tell us a little bit more about the dangers of running that 661. And then he just got excited talking about only four inches of wood and it requires a lot of skill. This my, is this is the best programming. Mold, my favorite was um, from BC, Sterling Hart. And if that's <laughs> not a, a Timber's name, I don't know what is. Sterling Hart. I tried Hart. to make out what Sterling Hart was saying. His, his connection was not the greatest. I only heard from uh, Nathan Cumberland. But yes, Nathan, yeah. uh, Sterling Hart. I did, Listen, uh, I, I don't think well. we should judge John because... We I'm not host, judging. I'm g- genuinely captivated by this. I'm the ho- casual that they're trying to grab. Certainly, we host a pro- project and a podcast that is, if anything, even more ridiculous than the idea of people cutting wood, you know, for competition. Imagine if one of those guys listened to one of our raw reviews. They're talking about fire and people burning and magic and all that shit. Um, really, anybody listening to this podcast can't judge. Well, I will... I will keep up every now and then on the Canadian Steel Timber Sports. Steven, Steven in the chat room says Sterling Hart is actually related to the Hart family, apparently. Is he really? That's, well, what, he's, that's what he claims. Not, well, not going to fact there, There's our connective tissue. Amazing. We'll, uh, put, that one in back, we'll put that one in the, uh, the back of our future guest idea list. So Dynamite kicked off with Darby Allen and Joey Janela for the TNT Championship. I thought that they laid this match out in a, in a very smart way. It started with, with wrestling holds and Darby's going for a hammer lock and just rolls with it. Eventually he gets hit with a gourd buster onto the apron as his face just smashes on it. And, and Janela hits a tope suicida to the floor. Allen would work on Janela's arm after weakening it, snapping it on the top rope to set up for the Fujiwara later on. And then Allen hit his own tope suicida that looked ungodly as he just crashed. The announcers are bringing up the fact that Team Taz did say that they would be watching this match and looking at it. So you almost have the announcers calling for the run-in that was never going to happen. So a bit of misdirection here. Allen uh, leaped off the middle rope. And as his back is going towards Janela, he's caught in midair and hit with a German suplex they're then going with uh, with holds on one another, Mahi Stral cradle by Allen, a snap pile driver by Janela, and then a code red is hit off the turnbuckle by Darby, coffin drop for the win in nine minutes and 50 seconds. I, I thought that they did a great job here. Everyone was watching this match, waiting for these guys to die, and they did do some very risky things, but I don't think anywhere in the realm of what was expected when you heard these two were going to be having uh, 10 minutes on on TNT. I thought that they kind of just 
started off a totally different tone. And I think that's always smart to try and uh, do stuff like that. And Darby, I think the silliest thing anyone could do is pigeonhole him as some one trick pony. This guy is such a great talent and he can flip a switch and do so many different styles. And he got to showcase some of that at the beginning. Yeah, it was a really enjoyable match. Uh, certainly compared to Cody, I think Darby has been a very inactive TNT champion in title defenses, but I thought the quality of this one definitely made up for some of that lost time. Um, these two have excellent chemistry together, and I think they both came out here with something to prove. Uh, the expectation was for them to, you know, deliver a lot of punishment to their bodies. Um, and, you know, this was not without risk. They did plenty of that, but it was not just a match only of that type of wrestling. Uh, they, I thought, used it very economically, and um, I'm really glad they did because it means a whole lot more for their longevity. And they showed off a good amount of technical ability here. Everything looked very good. Everything looked very clean. So this is a really solid opening match. Afterwards, uh, they had the overhead shot of the two just kind of selling the effects of the match. So I, I thought this was uh, a very strong way to start the show. I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. They previewed the... Matches to come, including Kenta and his arrival last week, opening the Forbidden Door, as Excalibur stated. I- I'm ready to move on from the terminology of the Forbidden Door. It seems like, okay, we've uh, we've got it. Feels like one of those uh, <laughs> WWE terms that we have beaten into the ground over the last uh, many months, but especially in the last seven days. Well, I thought I was done with it after, like, Friday, but then, like... The whole Marvel, WandaVision, X-Men thing happened, and, you know, I got another few days out of it. So now I'm I'm ready to retire it. Sure. John Moxley uh, did a promo calling Kenta a dork uh, for calling him out with his stupid briefcase. The cheap talk is over, and then John Moxley reveals the forbidden title. The United States title makes its dynamite debut. He plugs the match on Strong on February 26th. Tonight... He's going to dump Kent on his head, and it is unsanctioned tonight, and tonight is just going to be for fun. So there we have the the merging of John Moxley of New Japan with John Moxley of AEW tonight. Yeah, yeah. He did not um, call himself the Death Rider or anything like that, um, but he did promote the date of the match, did not tell us where to watch it, but um, nonetheless... You know, drew attention to what exactly it is that Kenta and Moxley are fighting for. So it, you know, we learned definitely a bit more about like what the deal might seem to be between these two, and it's that um, obviously you promote our match on your show, uh, you'll we'll lend you Kenta to use for your storyline, and thus far it seems to be a very mutually beneficial agreement. Could you see as part of this uh, agreement? Uh, do you think that this match tonight uh, could pop up on New Japan World? Uh, that's a really good question. I probably think not. Um, I don't know whether or not something like this extends to, to, to rights like that. Although I think we did see clips, didn't we? On their website or, or on, uh, their YouTube, right? From, uh, Kenta's appearance. Uh, I'm not sure. Be... I didn't see those. Yeah. Possible, um, yeah. like a singular match like this on, on what world? Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's kind of how they've worked things out with, like, Ring of Honor in the past and CMLL. Like, I mean, those seem to be more entrenched uh, relationships. But uh, that would be interesting to see mm-hmm. if that is something that they are able to uh, work out where, hey, you can use our guy. Let us let's put the match up. 
promote Strong or or show clips of this on on Strong this week. I do feel like you know at least um, their Twitter, New Japan's Twitter, will probably at least call attention to it, like they've done last week. In the back, Sammy Guevara has hired a, a camera crew, uh, probably got a, a day rate on them, and brings them into the inner circle's locker room. He wants to speak to MJF alone. Ortiz checks with MJF, asking if he's good, and everyone leaves, including Wardlow, but the cameraman is told to stay. Guevara tells MJF, I know what you're doing. You're trying to take over the inner circle. MJF takes out his phone and puts it on the table. He says he thought that Guevara was just jealous, that you used to be the apple of Jericho's eye, and then I showed up, the sex gods died, and I'm the new favorite. And he thinks that Sammy, deep down, hates Jericho for having to play second fiddle, and you want to be front and center and take over the inner circle. So Sammy Guevara sarcastically says, you're right, I want to take over the inner circle. I hate Chris Jericho. And then it is revealed that MJF was recording this on the phone. So Sammy Guevara takes the phone and smashes it against the wall and then punches MJF in the stomach. I really like the interaction between these two. I think the acting here felt very convincing. I think they're both very good performers. Uh, but I thought there was like a major logic gap in, in how There was AJF a gigantic th- one that we will get to, yes. What was the plan? In how AJF th- or MJF thinks that this audio recording would be of any sort of gotcha moment after they just established that they can all watch these things on TV in full <laughs> video. They even acknowledge the camera is there, of course, at the start of this. So, um, you know, to me, it's kind of becoming apparent that Tony Khan's mandate to always, you know, acknowledge the camera and to make sure that they don't have the invisible camera. Sometimes I think, especially recently, it's become more of a problem than um, something to help me suspend my disbelief with. They have to be really careful because... um I usually don't even think about the camera being there, but because they make an effort to acknowledge the camera's existence every single time, I'm kind of forced to think about it. And then I think you occasionally run into weird logic gaps in how a segment like this would even make sense. Uh, Why would MJF, how can MJF sneak record something when there's a video camera recording the whole thing that's being live broadcast to TV? So maybe they'll tell us that this was taped and that Jericho will end up like not seeing it until next week or something like that. But I think you're just asking for more, more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. Th- this is one where AEW is going to get called on the carpet for this kind of gap. Whereas <laughs> I think if this exact same thing happened on raw minus the clear acknowledgement of the camera, you're like, Oh, this was, this was brilliant because I think you're going to let that slide anywhere else. But AEW that goes to such length to explain the logic of a cameraman being there that for an angle like this, it really did not compute unless you were to like get really, really, I, I think you're really overthinking it at, at this point. If you were to have kept Wardlow in the ri- in, in the room and he could have threatened the cameraman. But again, we're watching all this as it's playing. So I don't think so, you had much of a way out of this. Rustin in the chat room says, would you rather they hide outside the door like in TNA? My answer is yes. I thought TNA managed to do that brilliantly. Like the idea of this like documentary camera, like the office, you know, how it would just like it be hiding somewhere 
shooting it like it's a documentary without the knowledge of the people that are talking, thinking that they're talking in private, being captured on video. That to me is how you can get away with something like this without having to acknowledge why the camera is there. Um, it's it's a it's a you know it's a style that I I, I wish like more of these wrestling companies would employ because I think it's cheap to produce and it's realistic. Cody Rhodes and Lee Johnson against Peter Avalon and Cesar Bononi. The Nightmare Family comes out uh, with Arn Anderson in tow. And we are introduced to Arn's son, Brock, in the front row. Cody comes up and shakes his hand. Jim Ross says, and I quote, His face looks like it belongs on a can of beef stew. And then Shivani said that Brock... He looks like he would be in the steel steel, uh, timber competition. He definitely would be. Uh, And then Tony said he looks like a combination of Arn and Ole. I, I don't know if uh, that's the highest of compliments, but nonetheless, uh, this dude... He does got, look exactly... He does look exactly like that. He's... This is a big dude. I mean, for... You know, fair, he's definitely got some size to him. So there you have it. Uh, training, and we will see what becomes of him. I hope. I hope he has inherited his dad's promo skills. You know, I don't even know how this guy would look and ring but i just can't wait to see him wrestle because he's just like he's got he's got this kind of this lumberjacks look that i i find actually really unique today um he just looks like he's probably like 18 yet like he's probably going to look 38 for the rest of his life just like Arn. um this match it was all about lee johnson and and i thought they did such a great job uh with this uh, Benoni blasts Johnson from behind after a blind tag and they work. Uh, Cody finally gets Benoni off his feet after several clotheslines. Uh, Johnson hit this amazing corkscrew to the floor onto Benoni and then gets uh, Benoni is yanked to the floor by Cody and Peter Avalon's in. He misses with the martinis and is rolled up by Lee for the win. And they put such emphasis on this win he has scored his first win in AEW. Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall come out to congratulate him. They interview him. He said how he went 0-29 last year. If you do the work, it pays off while he thanks the Rhodes family. Man, I thought all this talk of like how difficult it is to get, get new people over. And you watch this. And they just did such a great job with Lee Johnson. I thought that this this was not a match that had a whole lot of attention coming into this week. It's not one that's going to stand out in the lineup from a week ago when they teed it up. But my God, did they do a great job with Lee Johnson. I thought they were very effective in teaching the audience to pay attention to this new character that they're going to feature. Uh, Rhodes, or sorry, Johnson, like took full advantage and just executed some really brilliant beautiful looking moves in this match and they gave him the promo the announcers put him over like this is a big deal so i can't wait for this guy to turn on the roads oh, you're so uh pessimistic oh come on this this will never last like this was just so so dripping in like corniness oh they gave i owed this moment all to the roads family like perfectly setting up that turn well, uh, I, I thought they just did a great job here. Uh, it was 
you know, just to see, you know, another like young talent that just felt like he was just, you don't want to say made after something like this, but my God, did he feel like an important factor to this entire show. And they did such a great job of making this win feel so important. He was could have just been a throwaway tag. This could have just been Cody gets a quick win, leads along for the ride, and it's forgotten about by the end of the night. Yeah, he's far from made, but this was a hot start. Yes. Uh, the Young Bucks are in the back. Uh, this was earlier in the day with Dasha, and the Good Brothers appear. They're, they're arguing over the Battle Royal last week, and Matt calls them idiots because by us getting eliminated, we were going to pick you to face at the pay-per-view. They did mention uh, no surrender here for Saturday. Uh, it was so quick, you would have no idea what this was if you didn't know what they were talking about. And Matt decides he wants to defend the tag titles next week. Gallo says, I smell a big number. And they say that they're going to challenge or face Santana and Ortiz. Carl thinks the demo will be great. And that's our tag title match for next week. So Santana and Ortiz get a tag title shot. Jericho and MJF get a tag title shot. Good Brothers get nothing. Nothing yet, I guess. Yeah. I I really feel like the Bucks will eventually re- reveal themselves to be leading the Good Brothers along this whole time. At least that's my hope. Because I think they're them kind of playing like naively forgiving the Good Brothers each week, even though they continue to screw us. Uh, it's making them look really dumb. So I have to think that they would give themselves a bit more credit and not just book themselves to look this dumb unless it was just for, you know, a swerve later on. But whether or not the story is in great shape, I I could forgive a lot if there are good matches to look forward to each week. And we definitely have one in Bucks versus Proud and Powerful. Then Dasha, Dasha and Alex Marvez were very busy on this evening. Uh, She's with Hangman Page and... He says that they are not forming a team, him and Matt Hardy. Hardy walks in, says they are special. And tonight he's rented out a bar for the two of them. The tab is on Hardy. So Paige agrees to go drinking with him. He says, I got to go get my phone. And he has this awkward run in with the Dark Order. And it was just hilarious to watch the interaction between Hangman Page and John Silver. And Paige just says, I'm going to the bar with Matt. And... Silver is all flustered. He says, maybe uh, I'll catch you on the flip. Stupid. <laughs> He's just great. He is tremendous. Yeah, yeah. I guess now they're acting like ex-lovers and they don't really know what to say. This is the wedding I want to see in AEW. Ooh, yeah. That or Wardlow in the Dark Order. That's true. It's involved here. This is a fun little scene that they had. Pack versus the returning Ryan Nemeth. Uh, Phoenix is out with Pac. Uh, okay. I thought that Ryan Nemeth played the greatest, like, punching bag for three minutes. This guy's role was to just literally play dead by the end of this. It's just Pac murdering Ryan Nemeth for four minutes. He blasts him with a boot, sends him to the floor. Um, Nemeth did get in his drop kick and leaping DDT, but then Pac just rolls to the floor and Nemeth then gets stomped repeatedly in the corner. His body is limp. This guy is just completely out. He is set up in the corner, hit with the black arrow, and then the brutalizer is applied, and then he won't release the hold after the bell is called, and Nemeth has this great expression on his face of just doom that has taken over his body. 
I thought Ryan Nemeth was just awesome. Like he knew exactly what he was here for. And he just played like this perfect punching bag for four minutes. I, I thought like this was a, a surprisingly entertaining destruction. It felt like a callback to like jobber matches that we used to always see. And it's been, it's not even often. I feel like in AEW we might get one of these, but um, I thought it was very effective. And you're right. Like I thought Ryan Nemeth did a great job as many jobbers in the past on superstars or whatever, who are there to profile these, the actual stars uh, have always done. Yeah. Like I imagine someone told him at the end, yeah, we want you to play dead. And he decided I will play dead. I am going to yes. And that shit. And he was great. We had a recap of the wedding, uh, culminating with Cassidy and Chuck toasting to one another with Orange asking, what did you think was going to happen? And Chuck saying, obviously, Orange was going to pop out of a cake. Uh, This was all condensed into about 90 seconds, which was the better presentation than what we got last week. I agree. All all of that for this. This toast at the end. Yeah. And Chucky's Um... free. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I can't say it's a program I'm that excited by. Uh, you've heard most of our thoughts last week, so uh, this is, I mean, the end of the the end of it is what is it? Orange Cassidy versus Miro, which is a match I can get behind. Um, but you know, I would have felt excited probably for it even without this story. Inner Circle is getting ready. Jericho's with Wardlow and Hager. Santana and Ortiz show up. Uh, explaining MJF's been hurt, and then MJF walks into the shot. He's got his ribs all taped up, blaming Sammy. Um, very close to the Don Callis Young Bucks angle we just saw. And then the music starts playing, and they frantically have to go out for the match where MJF all of a sudden is not a hundred percent, and Jericho doesn't know what the hell's going on. Doesn't watch the show. I guess not. Um, Jericho and MJF against the acclaimed. Uh, Max Caster came out with a rap. Uh, including the line about sing me your sunshine as a reference to MJF's Rosie O'Donnell appearance. They even did shot a video uh, for themselves over the the week and uh, just for this match. And uh, it, these aren't amazing like lines or amazing videos, but I think the effort is really appreciated. The fact that they're doing so much uh, just even outside of what you might see on dynamite. So this was a really different match for these two. Yeah, it was. Um, it focused a lot on MJF, who's like overly selling the ribs. He's just, <laughs> he was punched in the stomach. So it just made it more amusing watching this guy sell uh, like he had been just hit by a truck. Um, they got control of Max Caster after a double flapjack. Uh, Aubrey kicks the arm free as they're using the leverage for the abdominal stretch. Bowen's got the hot tag. They got to showcase his strength. I thought he looked very good here. And then tosses MJ off off his shoulders. Dex Ortiz off the apron. Jericho goes for a lion salt and gets nailed with a boombox by Caster, setting up a great near fall uh, as Bowen's got on top of him and Jericho kicked out at the last possible second. Bowen's then went for a Pescato and just crashed and burned on the floor. Hager shoved Caster off the top and was hit with a Judas effect. Jericho pins Max Caster. I like the acclaimed a lot as baby faces. Um, I think the style of match, the gimmick, it all works better with them as baby faces. 
they're not always going to have like opponents the caliber of MJF and Jericho to to work against. But I I I think you know at this point they're established. Uh, the gimmick is you know I think among AEW tag team gimmicks this gimmick is over. Um, so I would love to kind of continue con- continue to see them as like a you know more of a top build babyface team. I just love the continued emphasis on just trying to get new acts over. It just seems like that is such a big part of their mission statement is young talent and putting them into positions where even in, in defeat, they're going to showcase them. Like I, I thought Bowens came off great. Max Caster's already got like the entrance and such, and they had him go late into the battle Royal. Um, you know, I, that's what, that was a, a consistent theme throughout this show that I, I thought was a big, a big high point. Sammy comes out uh, and confronts the inner circle. Jericho's asking, what's the problem? What's going on? And Guevara says that on December 9th, I said, if one more thing occurs with MJF, I'm done. So I'm done. I'm quitting the inner circle. And Sammy Guevara walks out and Jericho looked like he was heartbroken. And MJF gave a look at the camera and smiled, you know, without the rest of the inner circle seeing. So, uh, you know, big story. The inner circle better not DVR dynamite. Like... (laughs) They get like a 30% bump on those DVR numbers. I hope the inner circle is not, I mean, the plan, I mean, based on tonight's earlier plan, MJF must assume that none of them go home and rewatch the show. Uh, He must know that Sammy is the only one who actually watches this show. So he can get away with this stuff. But this was, uh, another nice touch was how like Sammy walked up the ramp and stopped short of like going back into the heel entrance. And decided to turn and walk into the babyface entrance. That's so, right. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice touch. A major plot development tonight. Very, very significant. And I am sure that for given the people involved, I bet you they have mapped out all of the weeks uh, of TV of where this is going. And I think that this is like like the whole MJF involvement with the inner circle. I think it's it's likely been very very clearly outlined. And I think it's, I think it's been really captivating stuff, like with all the Mm -hmm. different personalities involved and a significant step forward in, in the story. Yeah. Uh, After the break, Alex Marvez caught up with Guevara. He says he needs to refocus and needs time away from this place. And that was the last we saw of Guevara tonight. Hardy and page are getting drunk at the bar. Hardy is laughing at all of Paige's stories and says that the two of us are magic. I could make you the top wrestler out there and you could be rich. And he pulls out a contract. He will, he would only take 30% of his earnings and page agrees to sign this. So page goes to sign Hardy goes up to the camera and says that this is all being documented and it's binding and page signs, whatever this document is, hands it off to Hardy. And I think you're kind of left with the impression that page is going to outsmart Hardy but that is to be determined because you were just left here with, he signed something, but what did he do? Did he really he just si- sign over his rights? Right. He signed it while he was drunk. And if you're Matt Hardy and if this is a story, I mean, you know, your sense is that it won't be this easy for Matt Hardy to just acquire the rights of, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Hank Page that way. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. It's It, it continues the story. And um, thus far, I, I think I still find it really entertaining, this new Matt Hardy character. Does Amazon have this policy? If, like, you're just drunk shopping oh. at, like, four in the morning that you can get a refund? 
So apparently the chat room is telling us that we missed a very important part of the segment, and it's that Paige threw away Matt's document and got his own. I don't know oh. how I missed that. We both missed that. Okay, well. So he did go. outsmart him. So 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 he had his own document that he signed? Yes. Switched it out. Okay. So when he went so to go it. get his phone, he knew that he would get propositioned for a contract. He He saw Matt's plan to get him drunk. Yeah, maybe he just had this extra contract in his pocket the whole time. All right. So what do you think the new contract means? Um, Maybe Hardy's working for him. He gets 30% of his, of Matt Hardy's royalties? Yes. Well, Matt Matt would have to, in theory, sign this too, wouldn't he? He did sign it. I'm not going to lie. I'm not really into this story at all. (laughs) At all with Hardy. Yeah, well, it's... um... I, I find him entertaining. I find him entertaining. But uh, yeah, we'll see what sort of, like, what match do you see coming out of this? You know, is there <sighs> Matt Hardy versus Adam Page? Is that really a, a match that people are clamoring to see? I'm not really sure. Um, I, I, I'm willing to give it more of a chance. Shivani brought out Sting, uh, but we didn't even get a word out before we go to Taz and Cage outside in a truck. And they reveal that they have put Darby Allen in a body bag and tied it to the van. For those remembering the classic Undertaker Hulk Hogan motorcycle angle, uh, I guess borrowing from some of those classics, and they drove off with Darby Allen in the body bag and Sting stormed to the back. I don't know where he was storming to, but I guess he was going to catch up to them at some point. This was pretty wild. I mean, man... You know, I'm weeks of this now has has occurred where Sting would come out, and predictably he was again interrupted, and you know Sting really said nothing. But this week, at least we got to see something pretty physically spectacular. I thought, like we forget that one of the wrestlers involved in this program is a guy who is pretty much willing to do anything to his body with or without an audience, and to see a man uh, dragged behind an SUV in a body bag. <laughs> was pretty crazy and uh, at least a memorable week in this, you know, seemingly never-ending uh, Sting, Darby Allen, Team Taz, you know, uh, interaction. Uh, but then uh, we didn't get the big Taz promo on TV this week. Instead, he saved it for Twitter when somebody uh, tweeted, really, AEW? Every week it's the same thing. Can we just have Taz shut the fuck up and let us hear from Sting for a change? This shit is getting old. And Taz's response, we just dragged a man in a body bag (laughs) with a truck out of the stadium parking lot. Same thing? What the hell are you looking at? And it's only because it was Taz that I found that greatly amusing. (laughs) We almost killed a man tonight. We attempted murder on the show. You know, there's there's been a lot said about like proper uh, social media etiquette. Um, some people recommend maybe disengaging, getting off of social media. I I also uh, am a fan of the Taz route of just <laughs> cutting promos, um, chastising whoever is tweeting at you. That's he does it really well. It was a a great response. <laughs> so there you go, Darby. Uh, his match didn't drag. That was saved for his. His body <laughs> later. Yes. <laughs> this this was the interpretation of that tag match I watched today. Yes. Alex Marvez is on a golf course 
where Kenny Omega is playing a round of golf. And he asks, what are you doing here when you have such a big match tonight? And in the background, you can even listen to Kenny Omega. You're just transfixed on Don Callis, who's screwing around with the ball, with the caddy, and ends up with uh, another eagle and puts the ball into the hole. So I know that, like, the joke is that, um, like, it's Callis basically making Kenny think that he got this shot, like, in one shot, right? But I thought the shot actually looked pretty good. Am I wrong? Like, this was shot from the bunker, and he, like, he got close enough, didn't he? I mean, like, a, he, you know, a, a strong putting game would have probably, his next shot, he probably could have had a chance of putting it in. He yeah, was, it wasn't, he was, it didn't seem that far off. He was, like, far from incompetent. I'm sure you'd do better than most people getting this out of the sand. I was trying to, th- like, it was a static shot, and I was like, how many times did they have to do this for him to, like, have, like, a reasonably good shot before they go into the promo with Marvez? Like, if you've never See, played it seemed golf, like a. It's true. It seemed like a one-take, which is what, like, I, I question whether or not Kenny's ever, never played golf. It looked like I don't know. Was... Maybe Maybe he does. Yeah, it, it like doesn't strike me good. as a golfer, but I don't know. Have you ever played golf? Not um not like 18 holes. I mean, uh what is it? A driving range, mini golf. Mm-hmm. I I can't do it. It's I played it like I played in high school. I had some friends who like went through a phase of golf, so I tagged along with them once. Um Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's really hard if you've never done it before. Oh, yeah. It's Yeah, it's it's I they they call it um I mean, what do they call it? Call it? I don't golf? even know what they call it. <laughs> they call it golf? Yes. Layla Hirsch versus Thunder Rosa in the Women's Title Eliminator Tournament. Uh, actually, we should look at the uh, the brackets because they have released them. And the way that it's going to work is that uh, we got the first tournament match tonight on the U.S. side. All the opening round matches on the Japanese side are going to air Monday on YouTube. On AEW's YouTube, yes. I see, okay. Which I'm not surprised by. Like, mm-hmm. like they're doing this at an empty, like, at the Ice Ribbon studio. And I never, like, I don't imagine them putting those matches on Dynamite as a break from Daly's Place. Yeah, and not even on Dark. I mean, it is similar to what they did with the Women's Tag Tournament. Yes, um, same slot. And I, I, yeah, I, I'm not really surprised by it either. Maybe slightly disappointed just because I think I'm personally a lot more interested in the Japanese side and being able to mm-hmm. see a lot of those women featured on Dynamite proper. Um, but given I, how... I hope they do a good job of recapping this on Dynamite. I hope it's not mm-hmm. just all of a sudden, you know, we, we don't get any kind of highlights or some profiles on on some of the winners at least. I think that like that was that was where when they did that women's tournament... Like, it, it was almost like it didn't even exist on Dynamite. Like, you – it was just, like, this whole standalone thing, and it never felt like you were watching the progression of the tournament through Dynamite, where that is, like, your central hub of programming. Yeah. And, again, I do understand it, especially if you're caught up in this kind of, like, you know, as 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 much as, as, much as they focus on sort of the minute-by-minute minute ratings thing as they are, I wouldn't expect them to air all of a sudden, you know, footage from the Ice Ribbon Arena on TNT. Um, but I, we've learned like through this pandemic, like those empty arena shows that WWE did, like those people are going to tune out of that stuff. Like, you know, that Mm -hmm. the setting matters, it does matter. So I do understand that, that thought process, but, um, you also, 
hope that there is like some attention to this as well because I think there is some curiosity. Definitely, uh, you know, the disappointment I think comes with the idea that you think you see this list of names and it's very exciting and you think that these these women are going to be a part of AEW when really it's not like that. You know, one of these women will really be a part of AEW. They'll make their way over here to have a match with the winner of the American side. And I would say, judging by the response online, I feel like a lot of the people are um, talking about Mackie Ito and probably want her to be the one at the end of it all. But there are plenty of like other people that I've heard a, a good amount of buzz for as well. So um, on the Japanese side, it's uh, Mei Saruga versus Yuka Sakazaki, Veni versus Emi Sakura, Maki Ito versus Ryo Mizunami and Aja Kong versus Rin Katakura. On the American side, uh, we'll get into Hirsch and Thunder Rosa. Next week is Serena Deeb and Riho, and then Ty Conti versus Nyla Rose and Britt Baker versus Anna Jay. And wait, there's only three episodes that they have to get this tournament out because the winner will challenge Hikaru Shida at the pay-per-view. So they are going to have to... Um, Go through these fairly quickly, given that they're just doing one U.S. match this week, and they've only announced one U.S. match thus far for next week. Oh, interesting. So maybe more YouTube matches. YouTube might be relied upon for some of these matches. Um, Layla Hirsch and Thunder Rosa. Um, Hirsch used a body lock to ground Thunder Rosa, and then it was the night of Tope Suicidas. Hirsch hit one and crashed into the rail. Through the commercial, uh, Hirsch went for a moonsault, landing on the knees, then went for another moonsault and missed, and then used the armbar, Thunder Rosa slammed out, and used the Thunder Driver for the victory. I thought a pretty good intense match. To me, like, Hirsch continues to impress and stand out by sheer fact that her style is so different from everybody else. I, I think she's already a very welcome addition to the roster if she's not officially signed yet, which I, I don't think she is. Um, unless you've heard, you know different, John? Layla Hirsch? I don't think they made an announcement. We we did skip over. They did announce tonight Lee Johnson is now officially signed mm-hmm. right after that win. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, I want to see more of Hirsch as a part of this roster. I, I really think she at this point she just kind of needs some personality and color to be showcased on the show. So I continue to really hope, like, you know, Team Tennis gets its first female, female member. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I like the match. I think that both of these women, I, I think, are like the upper echelon of the female talent that they have. I'm a big fan of Layla Hirsch. I think she's come out and all of her matches are like very solid, very different style to them. But it it works like with the opponents. And I, I thought these two had a, a very good chemistry with one another. So uh, Thunder Rosa will face uh, either Serena Deeb or Riho, who returns next week. Uh, her first match since I believe it was March. She was last there in AEW. 11 months, they said. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Schiavone had a sit down with Jungle Boy, who looks into the camera. There was no cameraman that felt uh, like a fly on the wall on this show. Is it is this nerve wracking way? Like if suddenly all of a sudden the subject is like looking straight into the camera at you and you're being like spoken to? It does kind of cat- catch you off guard, but uh, I, you know, of course you always it always it's always nice to be acknowledged. So if you're a cameraman in AEW, I'm sure you you're full of confidence and, and self esteem. <laughs> Jungle Boy has never been in a fight like the one he had with Dax Harwood. I came out on top, and I came out a different man. And you tapped out in front of the entire world. We didn't want you suspended. We wanted you here to look you right in the eye. And next time, I'm going to make you my bitch. You know, um, I thought, like, 
fine use of the word bitch. Like, I think it's it's definitely a crutch. Um, and you uh, you can justify it because I think it's still the guy is still in like what seems to be the beginning stages, uh, at least of cutting promos. Um, definitely has room to grow, but I thought he sounded fine for an up and comer. What if it was delivered slightly differently? And oh, dad, I have never been in a fight with such a man like that's Harwood before. But if he ever comes at me again, I will have to make him my bitch. <laughs> a rare Wednesday appearance of Dominic Mysterio. Dominic comes out days. usually, usually Dominic's behind a paywall, but every so often he might pop out. Next week on the show, uh, a live show next Wednesday, Young Bucks against Santana and Ortiz for the tag titles. FTR against Matt and Mike Seidel. You get yeah. both Seidel brothers. I didn't know there was a Mike Seidel. Yeah, Mike Seidel has had, you know, quite a, you know, he, he's, he's been around the block. Uh, Hangman Page, Matt Hardy, and Private Party against the Hybrid 2, Serpentico, and Luther in an eight-man tag. Serena Deeb versus Riho. And Sting calls out Team Taz. <laughs> this is a it's running like every joke. week. How can we get Sting onto the show in a non-physical way? This They're one's gonna... got to have a contract signing. Like they just can't get around a contract signing for these guys. Like they have. Oh. Yeah, I mean, can... it's not that far away to this pay per view. I, I do hope. Like it's almost like it's more reliant on the Team Taz side than it is Sting because Sting has said everything he has to say. There is nothing more for him to really outline here. He said everything he had to say the moment he said, "Hi, Tony Schiavone." That's that's all we wanted him to say. Like beyond that, it's like what have we had? We're hoodlums. Like the man the really promo is... he's got left is the big like emotional one. Like my career was over. There was a place that didn't want me anymore, but I'm coming to turn the clock back on Sunday because I'm a hoodlum and you're going to be my bitches. Uh, that would be great. That would be wonderful. Main event. Falls count anywhere. Kenny Omega and Kenta. Kenta coming out full New Japan video. I mean, this was... Briefcase. Briefcase. Everything. Uh, against Moxley and Lance Archer. Uh, this was an insane uh, match for about they, tw- 20 minutes they had. They brought up a really interesting point in that um, everybody in this match is a former U.S. champion in New Japan besides Kenta. Oof. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting, yeah. It, it's um, a reminder of how much of a bite AEW took out of that roster. I guess when you think about it, I mean, really, it's just Archer and, and Omega. I guess Moxley was jumping b- between them both anyway. But it's a it's a roster that I think shares a lot of identity. Well, Kenta attacks them with the briefcase, Moxley and Archer at the beginning. Um, we got trash cans involved um, in they go into the crowd and they're right next to Peter Avalon's couch where Kenta delivers a GTS onto Avalon next to his couch. Archer then stops Omega on the on the rail and choke slams him through the couch, getting a two count. Moxley and Kenta fight into the back area, into the kitchen, and they get onto these tables that Excalibur calls onto the kitchen surface. It's called a table, Excalibur. And then Kenta proceeded to hit a DDT to Moxley onto said table and then applied the game over. Game over on a steel... Okay table yeah what's gonna happen when kenta faces miro oh man how are they gonna call that 
Yeah. Um, Which game is going to be over first? I guess so. It'll be um, the battle, the showdown. Then there was a whole bucket of potatoes dumped. And yes, this opened us up for many potato jokes. Uh, Back into the ring, Moxley gets hit with a V-trigger. There's another one on the floor. It's just all over the place. Moxley is laid out on the table. This is after uh, the V-trigger. And Kenta and Archer are on the stage. And the announcers get away from the desk because it looks like Archer is going to powerbomb Kenta through the desk. But instead, he leaps off and then sprints off the stage, landing with a double foot stomp, putting Moxley through the table. If Kenta was a regular guy, this moment, this sequence needs to be inserted into the opening every week. This was the most breathtaking spot of Kenta just leaping off. I thought this was like among Kenta's like best nights he has had in years. I completely agree. Uh, he was he was fantastic here. And this spot in particular, I absolutely agree with you. To me, it was a spot of the match um, because of the production involved, because of the buildup to it. There was a real smart sleight of hand. And, you know, you're watching Moxley and Omega fight on the floor. Moxley sits up on this table. And then you're distracted because you see Archer and Kenta fighting over this announce table powerbomb. You don't, you almost forget about Moxley being on the table. So when Kenta like does not charge for Archer, but charges for Moxley. It came out of nowhere and was just so well shot, so well paced and so well set up. I I love that job. The the four of these guys and whoever was helping to lay out this match, I thought they did such a great job. Mm -hmm. Archer's in the ring with Omega, breaks the kendo stick over his knee and hits this choke slam. And this is my redundant comment. I'm reducing it to just once per show. But my God, with a crowd here, like they would have gone apeshit for Lance Archer in this role. This late in the match and breaking the kendo stick and Omega's begging off. Um, I I thought Archer came off really well here. Absolutely. You know, the lack of crowd didn't hurt it so much for me because this was a tape show. So we had the sweetened audio. Um, Yeah. It's not the same. You're right. No, it's it's not the same genuine reaction. I I actually found some of the crowd. It was like a a little distracting at times on this show, but... It is for the better. The Good Brothers come out, and this is where we see Anderson get into the ring and turns a choke slam into a gun stun. Jake, who, for whatever reason, now gets physically involved every match, hits a short arm clothesline to Carl Anderson. It wasn't pretty, but much like when Dean Ambrose took that DDT years ago on that old school Raw, I bet you Anderson was like trying to conceal his smile of taking this clothesline from Jake as he sold this gallows takes out Jake. And then they tease a V trigger to Jake with Moxley returning with a barbed wire bat to save Jake. And then there, uh, Kenta lays him out with a GTS Archer takes out both, but is hit with low blows, magic killer, and then a V trigger. And they, it's an assisted one winged angel as gallows and Anderson help him up and Omega finishes the one winged angel pinning Archer phenomenal phenomenal match great great match on on tv um this was the official first crossover match between new japan and AEW on dynamite and it more than lived up to expectations um you know when they announced that this would be a lights out match uh, initially but now a false count anywhere match i i don't know if i expected much um 
Because I they don't did know. Say, they did say it was unsanctioned tonight. Like that was in Moxley's promo. So it's kind mm-hmm. of the the spirit of like what the lights out concept is that it doesn't. Same count. thing. Yeah. Same with same same type of terminology all for yeah. the same thing. Uh, but like I didn't really think about like what the match would look like because I think I've been so conditioned to being disappointed by uh, plunder matches in my lifetime. This was the best kind of plunder. Like it didn't just have your brawling across you know um, the arena. But there were well-planned, wild, and execu- well-executed spots littered throughout the entire arena. That Again, that double spot, du- double stomp from Kenta off the stage was just so well done. Uh, there was a lot of creativity, I thought, in, in the match. And it wasn't just your typical hardcore match. Beyond that, the amount of elevation that they managed to provide various participants in this match was really impressive. So coming out of this match, you have Kenta and Mox. That match is far harder now than it was before. Mox and Kenny continues to be built for their next pay-per-view. Uh, this kind of worldwide reunion of the Bullet Club across three promotions now continues to be teased. Like here, you had New Japan, AEW, and Impact all represented here. Um, but man, what a job they did for like Lance Archer. You know, going from yeah. prior to this match, like pretty inconsistent appearances in this Kingston feud. After this match, he looks like a main event level player in one night. You draw that association very strong between him, Mox, and Jake as a potential new team, and you lay the foundation for Archer versus Kenny in the future, or rematch with Kenta even here. Um, I I couldn't say enough good things about this match. Look at how early we are in the year. It's February 10th, and some of the main events on Dynamite. This year, we've got Omega and Phoenix, that Darby-Brian Cage match. We had like that six man last week. Uh, we had the eight man with the Bucks and Good Brothers together. And then this, like these dynamite main events have been stellar so far. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to really look back. Like, yes, there have been better matches this year than this main event. But from start to finish, this might have been my favorite dynamite of the year. I just thought this was such a great show. They got like their emphasis on youth in so many different programs is. I just think like there's such um such an energy to the show when you can see the not just pushing new acts, but the fact that they are clicking, they're working. Like Sammy Guevara feels like he is on the cusp of a breakout year. You have a main event like this. You have stories that seem to be clicking very well. Um, I thought Anthony Bowens came across really well in the tag match, and Lee Johnson felt like a star tonight. Um, this was a great, great two hour show. It was a very good show. Yeah, nothing, no complaints about it. Well, let's go to the feedback and see what everyone had to say. Uh, starting off with tonight's poll. Seven point seven nine out of ten. All right. We start with Aaron from Brampton. I don't get why Team Taz dragging Darby around in a body bag was seen as a bad thing. <laughs> okay. Aren't we under the assumption that Darby already throws himself down hills while in a body bag? It seems like they were doing him a favor. Anyways, I thought the main event was incredible. I'm still not sold on Kenny as a top guy. Well, really. But boy, does the man know how to wrestle. Also, this match did a solid job reestablishing Archer as the monster on the roster. Even though he took the pin, it still took four men to take him down. Yeah, Archer, they did a great job with. It was perhaps his best... AEW performance, like he had the match with Moxley last year, but I I would place this 
above it. And I think he's going to get more out of this involvement with Moxley on the babyface side coming out of this uh, than he did for that title program. Yeah, he works really well as a babyface. It's just such a fan-friendly style. And uh, at this point, um, being in there with Kenny, I'm really looking forward to that match if they ever book it. We go to Nick, who says, Tonight's Dynamite felt extremely well-written. Significant movement was showcased in almost every program, from Hangman illustrating his growth by swapping out the contract to Team Taz. I don't know how we missed that. I think we, we were we just both, focusing on... We both on, flubbed on that. I think we were just looking at Matt as Matt was like talking to the camera, and so we didn't see uh, Paige do it in the background. Um, he goes on to say to team Taz and Darby in the parking lot. And of course, Sammy finally leaving the inner circle. This constant progression is what helps AEW stand out and feel must watch every week. The wrestling was equally strong. Highlight reel sprint from uh, Allen and Janela, a technical showcase from Thunder Rosa and Hirsch and another insane main event. Seeing the AEW title, the briefcase and the U S title all in the same ring was a bit surreal as were the mentions of Hiroshi Tanahashi and Suzuki Gun on American TV. All I'm left wondering is what Kenny's handicap is. Nine violent potatoes out of ten. Maybe that's going to be a side uh, video game project. Kenny Omega's PJ Tour. Oh, that handicap. I was like, what? A golf term. Got it. We're going to teach away golf this year. That'll be our, our goal. Johnny from Saskatoon writes, Great show tonight. Wasn't expecting much prior to watching it as the lineup seemed all right with the big focus being the main event. Overall, everything was a good watch. The low point for me was Darby, Sting, and Team Taz. Again, I understand that they're building to the street fight, but it doesn't quite have me invested yet. I wonder how they're going to pull it off. I was under the impression, the assumption that Sting could not get physical. The main event definitely delivered. It reminded me of the Attitude Era, Falls Count Anywhere matches. Maybe it was just a kitchen brawl that did it for me. I can only imagine what folks thought when they saw Kenta after only knowing him as Hideo Itami in WWE. Man, that was probably I'm the most so... spectacular moment of the night was reserved for Kenta. You know, a, a scene like um, what we had tonight would have never happened three years ago if it, the thought of Hideo Itami being in the ring with Dean Ambrose and being an equal, that was unimaginable. But tonight, like, this felt like a hot, hotly anticipated match between these two, and they felt every bit as equals. So I'm so incredibly happy for, like, the amount of reinvention Kenta has given to himself, not just as a character, but in ring. Uh, so much more spectacular than he was in a WWE ring and style, and I mean, same goes for Moxley as well. But man, what what a great great night for him! Let's go to Johnny from, oh, sorry, uh, Kate up next. Yep, is that right, John? Who yes. says, uh, I I wonder if it's going to turn out that Darby is actually working with Team Taz, and then getting dragged behind a truck in a body bag was actually his idea. This was a fun episode, and I like the inclusion of a few dark stars among the regular talent. I'm really happy for Lee Johnson, who's been working his ass off for over a year and has had some really impressive matches. Next, I hope that they sign Layla Hirsch full-time. Ultimately, though, tonight was all about the main event, and it delivered. It was a hard-hitting match, trimmed with some potatoey goodness. Weirdness, I mean. Although Archer was the only one involved who could afford to take the pin, he doesn't come out looking diminished. An entertaining two hours that was much needed after the news of the last couple of days. Um, <laughs> I would normally say like that would be absolutely ludicrous for Darby that this was part of his plan. He's the one character you could get away with that of, oh, it was no big deal. <laughs> it was just that that was part of our plan. Drag me in a body bag. So to what benefit, though? She's explaining, like, if this were a swerve where Darby ends up turning on Sting, 
uh, yeah. this was this was all to get a false uh, trust from Sting uh, to believe that Team Taz is really trying to harm Darby when in fact they're working to outsmart Sting and turn on him. Yeah, um, if they chose to do that, yeah, I don't, I don't think they should be turning Darby. I think they've got something no. very special in Darby as this very unique babyface that is unlike anyone else on their roster, and I think that it's. I think some just immediately go to all the stunts he does, but like there is, there's so much to that uh, performer beyond just the crazy stunts that he can do. Like he, he can certainly adjust to, I think whoever he is working with, I think he is a tremendous, tremendous talent. The last one here is from Muggin. Dynamite paid off the Sammy Guevara babyface turn expertly. He was presented so smart when MJF recorded their backstage chat it was quite a trip seeing the United States title on TNT and the main event Falls Count Anywhere match was chaotic fun. Kenta looked very good. Paige is AEW's version of The Bachelor with Matt Hardy in the Dark Order wooing him for his services. The acclaimed pre-match freestyle, including a nod to My Sunshine, was hilarious. With Leo Rush winning the AAA title on MLW, do you see him popping up on AEW for a one-off? Um, I don't think you can say no, uh, hard no to any... Uh, possibilities when you're talking about these groups, but I mean, man, I I don't know if AEW needs any more championships introduced or like they are beyond loaded now when it comes to all of these performers and all of these titles and all of these stories that uh, to me, you would need a real compelling idea uh, to be, to be doing something like that. But I, I, I don't dismiss anything that if it's, like AEW and MLW uh, doing something together, like that's a phone call. Like that's, there's not this great um, barrier in front of most of these companies to be doing stuff together. If, if they're seen as, as a benefit to each side and AEW has shown that they are very willing to work with others. uh, Even if it's perceived that it's, they're helping out the other group as opposed to vice versa. Like they see a value in that. Everything is wide open at this point. I mean, I think the the toughest bridge to cross has been crossed. I guess the toughest bridge would be WWE, but that's that's never going to happen. But, you know, it's, I will say, I mean, this is a roster that does continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're not cutting anybody. So um, adding men from other promotions might be a bit tougher to justify. If it was the women's divisions, I think that's still wide open. I think they're in dire need of like, you know, established veterans, people who can, who are already promoted as stars in other companies to come over. But on the men's side of things, uh, maybe less likely unless you are, you know, somebody from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, there you go. Um, I, I thought a really, really strong edition of Dynamite. So um, great show. A lot that they have to, to set up over the next couple of weeks going into the pay-per-view, which is March the 7th. Uh, But we will be back on Thursday. Wayne and I will be doing a show for cafe members. We're going to go through both new beginning cards in Hiroshima. In just a couple of hours, it's Kota Ibushi defending the double championship against Sonata. And uh, today's show had Sho challenging Hiromu Takahashi. And the match that we will dissect and discuss. I I don't even want to know Wayne's opinion of it yet. uh, Where the Iron Fingers were brought back to life. and, And Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. challenged the gorillas of destiny. Oh, you'll want to listen to this conversation. I'm sure everybody. It was a new beginning on 
on Wednesday. Uh, so that's coming up for Cafe members on Thursday. And then uh, this seat will be occupied by Nate Milton on Friday night uh, for all patrons. Rewind to SmackDown going down with Way and Nate. Yeah, I'm excited. So join us, everybody, postwrestlingcafe.com. And uh, we'll see you later. Post Wrestling Game Night, Discord. Join it. 7 p.m. <laughs>